you have to ask yourself, do I update 100% of the units or do I update 50% or do I update 70%? And understanding in each of those different things that you could do, there are enough meat on the bone for the next guy. Because the next guy is going to want to do an update and push rent. And he needs to be able to show that and model. Otherwise, he's not going to pay you a premium. Right? It's kind of almost counterintuitive. right? If you leave meat on the bone, you will get a premium than if you do everything and not leave any meat on the bone. Because then the next guy can't do anything special, so he won't pay you that premium. Welcome to How to Buy Giant Apartment Buildings, where you'll learn from the world's most savvy syndicators and investors exactly what it takes to invest in apartment building syndications. Now, here's your host, Mark Allen Kenny. Hey everybody, welcome to How to Buy Giant Apartment Buildings. I'm Mark Allen Kenny. Our guest today is Ferris Musa. How are you doing today, Ferris? I'm doing well. How about yourself, Mark? Awesome. I'm great. I'm excited for our conversation. So Ferris is the co-founder and managing partner of Disrupt Equity. Um, Disrupt Equity spans multiple markets throughout the country and has returned millions of dollars in profits to investors. To date, they've acquired and managed thousands of apartment units, and Ferris acquired over 800 units his first year. So Ferris, I'm super excited to talk with you. I'd love to learn more about your journey, how you got started in real estate, and a little bit about your background. Yeah, you know, I fell into it almost accidentally. So for me, I mean, I grew up always in the tech world, right? It kind of, you know, I had my own little website company in high school, you know, did computer science in college, went off and worked at Microsoft for several years, and you know, I left Microsoft with the intention of building a software company. I did that for several years, and at the same time, I had extra capital. I was just looking to deploy. And so, I, you know, the thing that most tech people do is stock market. That's all they know. I wasn't a sold on the stock market. I, mean, I had some investments in the market, but I really wanted something else. And so, I, I think the, I must have accidentally, I, I wish I remembered how I kept across the book, but it was a combination of listening to podcasts and then also read uh, the, the Millionaire Real Estate Investor by Gary Keller. Really good book. It really kind of highlights the value of real estate, right? And all the different pillars. And so read that. I'm like, all right, I'm going to get into real estate. And so before I moved back to Houston, I had already had a fourplex under contract. And, you know, in all the podcasts talk about buying, a, you know, a, a duplex, a fourplex. And unfortunately, Houston doesn't really have many fourplexes. Land is really, really cheap. Houses are the thing. But I did find a fourplex in an area that I didn't want to buy. And coincidentally, it's like a mile down from our office. So really close to our office, you know, many years later. But Bought that and kind of saw the power of, of multifamily, right? You know, small multifamily. And then, um, you know, bought a bunch of houses and just realized it didn't scale very well and learned about syndication and, you know, that concept and loved it. It's a people's game. It's a numbers game. It's an operations game. And, you know, started Disrupt Equity with my partner and the, the rest has been history. Awesome. That's amazing. So it, it, it seems like you were starting with fourplexes, smaller properties. How did you educate yourself to go bigger? You know, how did you learn how to underwrite apartment deals, you know, speak with brokers and that sort of thing? Um, listening to podcasts such as this, I mean, really, you know, learning from other people, seeing what they're doing and, you know, read a lot of books. And I'm a big believer in avoiding analysis paralysis. I know people will get bogged. down. You go to some of these events and people are going for years and still haven't done a single thing. And so for me, I'm a, I'm a believer. Let me just read all I can, listen all I can, you know, spend a week, two months, you know, two months, whatever I need to, right. To get comfortable with that hop in and, and figure it out. So it, I mean, it was very much that. Awesome. Yeah. I love that. I mean, anyone who acquires 800 units their first year, I mean, it sounds like you're an action taker for sure. So that's awesome. Did you have a mentor or anyone um, kind of helping you 
I did not. My partner had done a deal before, so he had a little bit of experience. And my 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 analogy is basically I was the jet fuel to what he needed. So you know, he had nice. the experience, and I kind of brought in everything else. Right? How do we scale this? How do we build a company around it? How do you you know build the systems and staff up accordingly? Sure, sure. And how how did you meet your partner? Uh, through a meetup, actually. Oh wow! And so my, my joke is he used to run the meetup here in Houston for you know and. There wasn't many people going. There was a smaller groups. So I got to know him much better. And then, you know, once we, we kind of clicked and then I, you know, we kind of partnered. Then I'm like, all right, we're going to redo this meetup a little bit differently. Right. And let's oh, systematize wow. it. It used to be uh, my joke is he used to just kind of, you know, hold his thumb to the wind and see, I'm going to have a meetup uh, next Wednesday, just arbitrarily, you know. <laughs> sure. Whereas now we're systematic, first Thursday of every month. Right. And so kind of really, you know, we've built it into, you know, I mean, we have 100 people that all attend our meetup. So. So when, when you guys, you got to know each other, you found that you clicked, you liked each other, how did you divvy up the work and, and figure out who was good at what and who should be kind of steering the ship in, in the different areas? Yeah, so we each have our own different strengths. And I've had many, you know, multiple businesses, multiple partners in the past. And you start to learn what works well, what doesn't work well with partners. Um, and for me, Ben and I, we, we both work well together. We both have the same long-term vision. And I think that's really important. Right. And so for us, it's not about a quick book now. It's about how do we build a you know, successful, scalable company. Right. And so, you know, we put all of our money back in the company. We don't pull money out of it. Right. And, and really, uh, we will both get our hands dirty anywhere that's needed is maybe the answer. Right. So right now, because we've grown so much, we've started to divide up a little bit more. Right. Where he's driving more of the asset management pieces and I'm, you know, driving the rest. And you know, because I mean, both those are really busy jobs, right? And so we, you know, we have our own management company. We have almost our in-house team, and you know, starting to really divide up more of that, just so we're not both bogged down by everything. Awesome. So I I learned a little bit about what markets you're focused on. It looks like you're focused on Houston, Dallas, Fort Worth, Austin, um, Atlanta, Jacksonville, Memphis. Can you talk a little bit about how you pinpointed those markets and, and what your strategy is? Yeah. So we initially started in Texas, right? We do like our Texas markets, but it got to the point where, you know, the markets in Texas were like specifically DFW, Houston, Austin, were just getting so overpriced. Right. And so we look for markets that have job growth, population growth, right? It's kind of the big factors. And then from there, you start to dig in a little bit as it diversified what's going on, et cetera. And the problem we were having in Texas was that the markets were great markets, but the pricing didn't make sense. Mm. Right. And so it might mean you know, it's an awesome market, but you still have an overpay, which means there's not really, you know, there's not much yield, right? There's not much return for people. And so that's really what led us to say, hey, what else? What other markets are out there? And, you know, Atlanta was identified as one of those markets. It is, you know, very much a fast growing city, population growth, job growth, the whole shebang. And more importantly, the pricing made sense. So we were digging into, you know, Atlanta and Memphis was kind of a similar bucket. And, you know, we, we found a deal in Atlanta that we knew, you know, we'd, we, we, would, we would perform on, right? So if you do the business plan, you'll make money. It's not going to be an easy deal, but we knew we would, you know, home run it because that was the requirement. Right? We needed to make sure it was a deal that was going to, we would have to, you know, work as hard as we need to make sure they deal will perform and that got us into Atlanta. And then from there, we continue to buy more deals in Atlanta. And, you know, since then, Atlanta's gotten really expensive. So unfortunately, you know, I mean, fortunately, I guess our deals are worth a lot right now. And, you know, we're sitting on some good equity on our deals. The unfortunate thing is that it's getting harder to buy deals in Atlanta. So the last deal we bought in Atlanta was about a year ago, actually, a year and a few days ago. And so, you know, we're, we're still trying to see, you know, what else. We're shaking more trees, trying to find something in Atlanta. Yeah. 
So are you, are you still focused on acquisitions given, um, you know, everything going on right now with COVID? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think if, you know, in this business, you should never stop focusing on acquisitions. Right. So we are still looking at acquisitions, but it's got to be priced accordingly. It's got to make sense, right? You know, it's, it's not a, these aren't right now with this market. I mean, the deals that are going to be realistic are not deals that you're going to do these big value ads and pop rents and push rents every year kind of plays, right? It needs to be a different play. It needs to be deals that, you know, people ran out of cash. They didn't know how to operate. We can get in there and kind of, you know, put our teams on it and, you know, bring more funding if needed, but really kind of run those deals appropriately. Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, better management, increased efficiencies, uh, lower operational budgets, those are so important. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I wanted to ask you about something I heard you say in another interview. It really resonated with me. Um, you follow up with brokers almost every week. You know how many kids they have. You know details about their lives. You're actually building friendships with brokers. And I love that. In this industry, relationships is so important. Um, nothing gets done without these relationships. So I'd love to learn just your thinking behind that, if you can kind of share with the listener your approach for uh, contacting brokers. No, absolutely. I mean, right now, even with COVID, right, the source of deals is still going to be through brokers, right? As a seller, you know, you know, this is for, for your audience, right? It's the, you know, once you start looking at deals that are 40 units and above, right? At that point, I mean, as a seller, it's almost reckless to not use a broker, right? Because they're going to get you top dollar, right? Versus people that think they could save a few bucks by not using a broker. You know, that doesn't happen at the larger, the larger scale. And so, brokers are your source of deals and really making sure that you build true friendships with them, right? I mean, it's not, you know, don't make it just a transactional relationship, right? It is, but really get to know them, make you know, make sure you're someone they enjoy talking to, catching up with them. And right now, really, I mean, with kind of what's going on with the virus, you know, we're one of the few people that are still talking to brokers, right? And so that, that speaks as well. So, you know, I highly recommend people learn how to, for people that are new, right? First and foremost, go find brokers in markets they don't care about, right? You need to learn the uh, lingo, <laughs> right? So go pick a city that you're never going to buy a deal in. And, you know, you can call those brokers and they're going to think you might be a moron because you still don't know the lingo, but that's okay because <laughs> you don't care about that, right? Sure, but, you yeah. know, you're learning how to speak the lingo, right? How how to approach the conversation. What are they asking you? Do you have good answers, right? So that's the first step. Then from there, start to know the market you're in and start to get to know those brokers, right? You know, we get out there and we, we, we line up meetings, we meet them face-to-face, -face, we call them, we take notes on them, right, in our CRM, put that there and, you know, start to really build a little bit of a story with each broker. That's I love that advice of practicing in a market you're not that's not a focused market for you, so you can kind of make mistakes and sound like a newbie on the phone for for a couple markets. <laughs> yeah, because the problem with all these markets is that you know there's only a handful of brokers, right? So yeah, you know your practice pool is very limited, so you should go look elsewhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Well, another thing I wanted to ask you about is uh, something that you said that you should know who the seller is and you should also know who the buyer is and. Um, I think that's really smart. So you should know the seller, what their story is, what why they're selling, what they're looking to accomplish. It's not always about price. Um, understanding the story behind that property, and then uh, knowing who your buyer is in three or five years, knowing what your exit plan is, who who will actually buy that stabilized property from you. Um, I think that's amazing advice, and would love to hear just your thinking on that. Yeah. So I mean, on the buy side. Understanding what's going on with the seller is so important. I was actually on the phone yesterday with a broker and he was telling me the selling group is a group that really wants to sell. They have one partner that's overseas. 
that you know it's like a majority partner that is the only person that wants to stay in the deal because he's got so much money tied up in it but everyone else like this is their dud of a deal right and they want out they're willing to get you know they, they're going to lose a few million dollars on it you know just the business plan didn't work but that one guy is adamant about staying in that guy will pump more money in it in the hopes of it maybe working out and so it's kind of a broken partnership but i literally told the broker i'm like hey reach out to them and see if that guy is willing to you know essentially shift into maybe like a kind of a creative structure, right? Where we let that guy stay in the deal as a non-controlling person. So he can ride on it. He has to bet on us, right? But he can keep the deal and, you know, we can maybe give him a little bit of an extra equity slug than what the rest of the guys are willing to take, right? And make the deal happen. So, I mean, you know, things like that, right? Understand who they are, why they're selling, what's been going on at the property. And do you have the ability to, to not make the mistakes that they're making, right? Like, are they, is, you know, is there issue a funding issue and you, they just needed more capital? Is there issue an operational issue and they just needed better management? Or is there issue that, you know, they, they pay too much, the deals, the market's not going to support it and you're not going to be able to pay as much and support it either, right? Sure, sure. That's on the buy side. And I guess your other question, the other half of your question is on the sell side, right? And so on the sell side, I mean, it, it's a similar situation, right? Understanding who, you know, with, with your business plan, right? You might have a five-year business plan. And you're going to update, and you have to ask yourself, do I update 100% of the units or do I update 50% or do I update 70%? And understanding in each of those different things that you could do, there are enough meat on the bone for the next guy. Because the next guy is going to want to capital, going to want to, you know, do an update and push rents. And he needs to be able to show that and model. Otherwise, he's not going to pay you a premium. Right? It's kind of almost counterintuitive, right? If you leave meat on the bone, you will get a premium than if you do everything and not leave any meat on the bone. Because then the next guy can't do anything special, so he won't pay you that premium. Right, right. So it's, it's kind of odd, but it's, I think it's important to make sure you have that baked into your business plan. It's that time of the show for a segment called Best Deal, Worst Deal, where we talk about real estate transactions that you've done in the past so that others can learn from your knowledge and expertise. So Ferris, with that said, what's the best real estate deal that you've done? Best real estate deal I've done? Um... I want to say it's a deal that we we closed on a little over a year ago in Atlanta. We're still holding on to it. Um, it's a deal that I really like because basically it's a situation where the sellers kind of got in over their heads in terms of just too many different projects going on. And it's a deal that's in a, you know, I'd say a very much a great location, up and coming location. It's, it's counter, it's, it's basically, uh, it's across the street from huge development that went into Atlanta, right? With the Starbucks, Target, I mean, a bunch of different things. And, you know, it's a deal that we we're able to buy that. We had looked at four months prior, after four months, a broker came back to us and like, hey, do you still want to buy this deal at the price you had offered? And I said like, definitely yes. And he's like, okay, well, they, you know, they want to move forward because they were, they just needed to close. The pain point was that it had 36, I think 36 down units. It's a deal that is essentially all, they had done all new sliding, 90% of the ACs are brand new, 90% of the water heaters are brand new. Um, and they had just done a lot to the property, it looked great. And on top of that, they had already started a program with the Atlanta airport where the Atlanta airport's going to replace all the windows with brand new soundproof, weatherproof, high-end you know, windows for free. And so we were able to pick that deal up at a very, very good price point. We, you know, we had to work through and get those down units online, right? But now when I mean, we have all the units online, the deal is stabilized. We're making more money every, every month than we did the previous month. And on top of that, we're pretty much like a leader in the market, right, at our pricing. And we're still getting lease-ups. And, you know, we're able to get that program with the airport done. So the property itself, I mean, we're sitting on a very, very good chunk of equity. And right before 
COVID happened, I mean, we had a very attractive broker's opinion of value on it. And so, I mean, you know, we're ready to sell that deal. And you know, I'd say that deal is one of my favorite because it was just a very clear pathway to success on that deal. Awesome. And do you have an idea? Um, you know, I think I, I know so much is up in the air right now with COVID, but if, if you're able to sell when you think you can, do you have an idea of the projected returns at this point for investors? Yeah. I mean, let, let's just say we were more than double investors money in that year. So awesome. And what would you say is the worst real estate deal that you've done? Worst real estate deal we've done. And it's funny. I was almost going to say this as the best deal as well. <laughs> it's a deal, another deal that we did in Atlanta. And it was really the worst deal that we've done because the lender made that deal a nightmare. Mm. And so for those that are listening, I mean, knowing your lender is critical. Make sure, you know, don't just do a loan with any arbitrary lender because, you know, especially with a value add deal, right? They, you know, they control the keys in terms of the draw situation. And so on that deal, it was a deal that had nine down units and, you know, we're pumping, you know, a lot of money into the property. And that lender, unfortunately, was pretty much a loan to own lender. And so they said that it's, you know, it's one of the best turnarounds they've ever seen on a property. So we worked through all the drama and all the trouble on that deal. But pretty much every step of the way, they were just making it extremely difficult to release any money, right? Because, you know, and really in the hopes that they're just going to see if we're going to default, right? And they didn't expect us to basically go put in a ton of our own money just to kind of get this deal over the finish line. But, you know, we did work through that and got that deal humming. So that deal, we took it down from, you know, the previous owners should have never owned a property in their life. They didn't know what they were doing. So we bought, you know, that deal we bought, it was 80% occupied on paper, but not really. We took it down to 40% occupancy and then we brought it back up to 95%. And so it was huge deep value add. And, you know, we sold that deal uh, this past November and, you know, we did really well on the return side of things, but it was, it was a lot of work to get there. Wow. What advice would you give to someone just to uh, learn from that mistake? Like how, how can you kind of pre-qualify your lender, find out if, if they're a good partner? Is it based on references or what advice would you have for someone, um, you know, to, not to make that mistake? Yeah. I mean, it's talk to your lender, right? Talk to your mortgage broker, you know, understand and ask around about who else have used that lender. Hopefully your mortgage broker will, will be able to navigate the C's appropriately, right? And it, and it kills me because on that deal, I remember we had a term sheet from a reputable bridge lender that, you know, is a publicly traded company that is not a loan to own shop. And we went with these guys instead. And so that that one seemingly, you know, simple mistake was was a lot of pain. And so talk to people that have used those lenders, right? Every lender has their pros and cons and just kind of understand and getting comfortable with the way they operate. Sure. Yeah, that's great advice. Well, cool. Um, we're getting a little bit short on time here, but um, I'd love to ask you just one final question. What advice would you give to a passive investor looking to get started right now, um, especially with the economy and, um, you know, say someone has some cash or an IRA or something, they're looking to invest, get into syndications. What's kind of the first step that you would recommend for that person? I mean, the first step is educate yourself, right? That's the first biggest step is understand the business, right? Understand how it works, right? It's not a quick, it's not a make a quick buck, but it's definitely, it's a build wealth over time strategy. And, you know, just understanding that, you know, these deals and kind of what's going on, every deal is different. Some deals take longer than others, right? And the more educated an investor is, the better it is for the sponsors, the better it is for the investor. And so I think that's the most important thing. And you can get educated by listening to podcasts, reading articles online, going to meetups, going to conferences, right? All of that. And so, you know, that's definitely a good way to get educated. And then from that, I mean, you know, again, doing those same activities, you can start to learn and meet other sponsors, right? Understand 
you know, who's invested with who, who's seen results and who hasn't, right? And understand how each sponsor operates. I mean, for me, whenever we first got started, I invested with several people just to see, you know, essentially who my competition is, right? <laughs> I wanted to be the best sponsor and I can't be the best sponsor unless I see what the other guys are doing. And so seeing, you know, was I comfortable with their with their presentation? Was I comfortable with how they asked me to wire the money? How are they doing communications? Are they hitting their metrics, et cetera, et cetera, right? And so I think doing that and talking to people that have invested with different sponsors is a good way to find trusted operators that know what they're doing. Yeah, yeah, that's great advice. I think some passive investors who are interested in the active side go through that path of just investing um, passively, getting to know kind of what the statements look like, what the communications looking like, and then, you know, kind of model what they like from different operators to start their own operations. So yeah, that's amazing advice. Ferris, where can others connect with you and learn more about what you're up to? Yeah, I mean, please feel free to, you know, either add me on LinkedIn or send me an email, ferris at disruptequity.com. That's F-E-R-A-S at disruptequity.com. Um, you know, my last name is Musa, M-O-U-S-S-A. So feel free to Facebook me, LinkedIn me, email me, or, you know, reach out to me from our website, disruptequity.com. Awesome. Well, thanks again for being here. I really appreciate it and have a great rest of your day. No, thanks for having me, Mark. Definitely appreciate it. If you're a passive investor interested in exclusive opportunities, join the free mastermind at giantapartmentbuildings.com. You'll learn from the industry's top experts on how to invest in apartment buildings. Go to giantapartmentbuildings.com.